I know I was kidding earlier, but I, I do want to thank uh, not just our worship team, but our tech team. Uh, they put a lot of hours uh, to make sure that things go as smoothly as possible, and we, we just so appreciate them. Thank you to our greeters and our ushers. You know, all those folks who were welcoming you when you walked in this morning. That's a ministry. Thank you for the smiles and the handshakes and the hugs. Thank you for all of those working in kids' ministry and youth ministry throughout uh, today and throughout the week. Uh, thank you for investing in the next generations. Thank you for doing that. Uh, amen. Amen. And to you all who are here today, thank you for being here. It's, it, it's not church if you're not here. It, it, it really isn't. Uh, we're, we are just so delighted uh, and thankful that you're here today. Again, we welcome those of you who may be joining us online. Just a reminder, my name is Mark Cullum, and uh, I have the high honor of serving as Connection Pastor here at First Open Bible. And today, uh, uh, this is becoming a habit. Um, uh, the last two sermon series, uh, uh, I've been tasked with uh, uh, kicking off. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if any of you guys or gals perhaps have, have you ever played in like a golf tournament or a scramble and you're the first team off the tees and everybody else is standing around while you have to try to hit the ball and you know you haven't really practiced nearly enough uh, uh, so uh, you just don't want to make a fool of yourself um, uh, such are the dangers of, uh, of, of being the, the, the lead person the person in the front of the line but we're we're uh, uh, we're kicking off a series called Fear Not, um, Understanding the Times. Um, uh, we live in a world that's, uh, there's some issues going on. Have you noticed? <clears throat> uh, yeah, it can, it, can, it, can, it can be a little uh, nerve-wracking uh, at times. Uh, but I'm here to tell you today, first and for, foremost, is that um, don't let it rattle you. Don't let the world rattle you. Because as we have sung today, our God is still on the throne. Amen. And last, amen, last I checked, I don't think he has any plans to give that up. In recent months, on more than one occasion, I've been asked the question, if I ever get nervous, when I stand up to preach or when I stand up to teach? Uh, and, and that's really a tough question to answer because in, in, on the one hand, uh, I believe that if I've adequately prepared, uh, then I, I at least have some measure of confidence when I, when I stand behind the pulpit uh, and trust that I will be bringing a message that's fitting uh, for, for that day and, and for the people that are here. Uh, so in that sense, I, I'm not really nervous. Uh, the fact that I'm old uh, and have done this a lot, experience, you, you lose a lot of fear and uh, uh, nervousness uh, just by virtue of doing things uh, a, a number of times. But on the other hand, uh, judging by our attendance numbers, I, I stand before two to 300 people on any given Sunday. Uh, and I recognize that each and every one of you have uh, given to me two of the most valuable things that you have your time, and your attention. 
I don't take that lightly. And I do everything that I can that's in, within my power to do to hopefully give you a solid return on your investment. And since that's not an easy thing to gauge, that's not an easy thing to measure. I, I, I don't, once in a while I'll see a face brighten up, but I don't see the light bulb turning on on top of your heads. Uh, so it, it, it's, it, it's, hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to calculate uh, whether I've been successful at that or not. Uh, but most importantly, I recognize that one day I'll give an account to somebody other than you for the things that I share on a Sunday morning. And uh, I hope I never lose nervousness about that. I hope I never lose nervousness about that. I hope I don't ever become comfortable and casual in the presence of God and the task that he has called me to. to. So that brings a little bit of nervousness, I suppose. But also, sometimes whether a person's nervous or not depends on the topic they've been asked to talk about. Some topics, frankly, are much easier to preach than others. The topic of this series is not one of the easier topics. It's not. And sometimes it can be quite challenging to try to peel the layers apart of a deeper theological concept uh, that we can sometimes, even us, me, Pastor Harris, we can easily, if we're not careful, kind of get lost in all of the details. We, we, can, we can be focusing on this tree or that tree and, and we miss the other trees or we miss the forest altogether. I don't want to do that. I want to avoid that as much as I can. I remember hearing a story of a young man who was fresh out of seminary. Be careful of those people. Um, <laughs> I was one once. Um, uh, and this young pastor, he, he, he was credentialed and uh, he was called to serve as an associate pastor at a particular church in, in his hometown, a very prestigious church. And uh, one Sunday early on, uh, his pastor uh, said, I have to go out of town uh, uh, suddenly and I need somebody to preach this weekend and he says can you do that and well you know handing handing a pulpit to a new preacher is like saying sick him to a dog you know I mean it's like <laughs> yeah you know uh uh, so, so he has this opportunity to preach, and uh, of course he, he prepares diligently. And I mean, this guy, again, fresh out of seminary, his head is just exploding with all kinds of knowledge that he's picked up along the way, all the learning that he's acquired. And so he worked really, really hard to make sure his sermon was spot on. And he delivered it, and as he stepped off the platform that day and made his way to the back to greet everybody as they were heading out the door. He felt pretty good about that. Thought everything went pretty well. So he was shaking hands with folks as they were leaving and he was approached by one of the older ladies in the church who was uh, very well known and very well, very well respected, not just uh, in the church, but in the community at large. And she said, Pastor, and she put a big smile. She goes, I just want you to know that your sermon was like the peace of God. Well, before he could get out the words, thank you, that is so kind of you to say that, she continued. <laughs> it surpassed all understanding. <laughs> I have found that unless 
a sermon is understood, it really doesn't matter much how eloquently it was delivered or how even theologically sound it might be. And so I don't take this task lightly. It's an honor and truly a privilege to stand before you. Well, again, we, we are called to, as part of our sermon series title, to understand the times. I have a big book in my office that's about that thick, red cover, and the title of the book is Understanding the Times. I've read the whole thing at some point in my life, and I still don't understand the times, at least as fully as I would like to do, okay? There are some things we can understand. There are some things that are beyond my understanding. There are some things that are beyond your understanding. So those things I entrust to a God who knows and understands everything. And I choose to not get worked up about it. I'll keep looking, I'll keep searching, and I'll keep seeking to understand. But I have just come to the conclusion that there are just some things that are beyond the brain cells that God equipped me with. I can't, I can't handle it. There are some things about God. I, well, why doesn't God explain this? Why doesn't God explain that? I, I, here's why I think we wouldn't understand it even if he did explain it. Or our heads would explode, one of the two. So I'll choose to abide by and be content with being a little bit ignorant about things. But there are some things I don't want to be ignorant about. I want to understand the world that I live in, but most of all, I want to understand it so I can bring Jesus to that world. The world of the past is gone. Okay? We will never relive another day that has passed. We have to face the world as it confronts us and meets us today. We need to understand these times. But I have found we understand the times that we live in better when we understand the times that have preceded us and the way people understood their times. While Jesus walked the earth, and ever, even ever since Jesus walked the earth, people have always been interested and speculated uh, and asked questions about the end. Because we always want to know how something ends. We always want to know how the book ends. Sometimes we skip to the end. Shame on you for doing that. Okay? Because <laughs> you miss a whole lot. And sometimes, how, how, many of, how many of you get really frustrated when a show or a TV show or a movie ends and there are still unanswered questions? You're going to have a rough life as a Christian. Because <laughs> there are going to be some things that, quite frankly, are going to be left unanswered. So we have to focus on the things that will be answered. Even Jesus' own disciples. In Luke chapter 21, verse 7, they asked Jesus, Teacher, when will all this happen? What sign will you show us that these things are about to take place? There are people clamoring today wanting to know, well, we've got trouble, trouble in the Middle East. How many of you live long enough to know that there's never been a time when there wasn't trouble in the Middle East? Huh? I'm old enough to remember that there was a, a war that broke out in 1967, and boy, Jesus was right on the threshold of coming back. 
Six days later, that war was over and Jesus hadn't come back and we moved on to the next incident. And so it has always been, even from Jesus's day, his disciples, what sign will you show us that these things are about to take place? In Acts chapter one, they asked the question again. So when the disciples were with Jesus, they kept asking him this tells me that this was not just a one-off question. This was a persistent question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, and this is his reply, I think, through the generations. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. The Apostle Peter Address the question in Second Peter chapter 3. The first part of verse 4 goes this way. They will say, he's talking about scoffers at this time. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Didn't he promise he was going to come? Where's your sky daddy now? Why hasn't he shown back up? Mocking their faith but do you ever wonder why has God waited so long why has God waited so long some of the words of scripture tend to point us to that certain things are going to happen quickly within the generation that heard the words others seem to have a little bit more time that was going to take place before the fulfillment. But the point is, whether we're believers or unbelievers, it seems that human beings have this sort of built into them, that they are fascinated with the future and curious as to what lies ahead, both for themselves and for the human race. When is God going to wrap all this stuff up? From my point of view, yesterday would have been fine. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Has that ever been your prayer? Hmm? Regarding the second coming of Jesus, Open Bible Churches puts it this way. We believe the second coming of Christ will be personal visible and triumphant. We believe the second coming of Christ will be personal, visible, and triumphant. The church today is fascinated with is Jesus going to come back largely because of world events that tend to trigger that question. It has always been thus. The Great Awakenings, the Adventist movements of the 1800s, the Dispensationalist movement of the early 20th century, all of these mirror a similar longing in the Old Testament for the Messiah to come. So the aim of my message today is really to provide more or less a, 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 an introduction to the series and to lay a foundation on which Pastor Harris will build uh, his upcoming messages in the weeks to come. 
So if I can accomplish that, I, I hope that I'll be satisfied with that. But curiosity about the future seems to be hardwired in us. Don't you wonder what's going to happen? Don't you? Of course you do. Don't sit there and lie to me or to yourself that you're not interested in what the future holds. We all are. We all are. Can I pay my bills? Will my health maintain over time? You know, when you just turn 64, you know, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64, these are concerns. Huh? Yeah, I just turned 64, by the way. <laughs> I used to think that was some great accomplishment if I could live that long, but uh, now I, that doesn't seem quite as old as it used to seem. How many of you remember a book back in the 1960s, 70s? The Late Great Planet Earth huh? by Hal Lindsey. Huh? How many of you got a copy of that one back then? Huh? It freaked you out, didn't it? It was all the rage, right? Not long after that, when I was a teenager, there was a movie that came out. It's called A Thief in the Night. Oh, boy. There's a lot of other old people here. Yeah. Yeah, you're part of the demographic I like lovingly call my geezer Americans. So... Uh, I'm telling you, that movie put the fear of God in those Pentecostal teenagers. And by the way, one of the uh, uh, actors in that was a fellow by the name of Dwayne Collar, who was an open, became an open Bible pastor. He had the goofiest looking, big, fat, bushy sideburns. Yeah, but that was, that was the thing back then. Huh? And for those of you who have seen that movie, I suppose you still get a little jumpy when you hear that tea kettle whistle. Huh? You, if you don't even remember that, but in more recent years, a whole series of books and maybe a couple of movies, the Left Behind series. Remember that? Another thing to stir interest in the end times. In my lifetime, Chairman Mao, Henry Kissinger, Mikhail Gorbachev, Saddam Hussein have all been proposed as possible antichrists, as mentioned in the Bible. Which meant that as soon as that was, person was revealed, Jesus was coming back. Huh? Last week, Pastor Harris mentioned a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. Another, writer by, uh, another author by the name of Harold Camping, he wrote a book, confidently predicting that the rapture of the church would occur on May 21st, 2011. And that the end of the world, by the way, would follow that October uh, of the same year. Here I am, yeah. A lot of us missed it, apparently. Over a century before, uh, uh, a man by the name of Charles Taze Russell, he founded the Watchtire, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in the late 1800s. Now, you might know that organization better by the name Jehovah's Witnesses. Russell predicted that the coming of the Lord would occur in 1874. Then in 1881. 
then in 1914, then in 1918, and then he died. <laughs> and his successor suggested 1925. He died. The following leaders apparently came to their senses and gave it a rest for 50 years, but resurrected it again to confidently predict that the coming of the Lord would occur in 1975. Since then, it's been another 50 years since they've opened their mouths about making those sorts of predictions. Russell's group was one of uh, many that were part of a movement called the Adventist Movement. There was a group called the Millerites, named after a preacher named Will, William Mirror. He, he, he predicted in 1831 that Jesus was going to return in 1844. Why does all this happen? Well, it happens because there's, there are things that are going on in the world that cause or trigger some sort of religious fervor or some sort of calamity in the world. Russell in 1914-1918, that's around the time of the First World War. Tensions in, among the states in the early 1800s or mid-1800s, which eventually led to the Civil War here in the United States. Trouble and turmoil. And people begin to say, they, they remember the words of Jesus. When you see these things happening, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws nigh. Ross quite rightly added the word, begin. We don't know the time frames of God. We can know some general things, but how many, how many times in human history, how many eras in human history have there not been wars? Have there not been rumors of wars? Have there not been famines and pestilences? For crying out loud, the, 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 Egypt, uh, the Egyptians had a famine uh, or, or helped Israel during a time of famine, a time of pestilence, back when the patriarchs were alive. When you see these sorts of things, people begin to wonder, what is going to happen when is Jesus going to return how and when will the world end how's this whole story going to play out do you wonder about that I do I do but what I refuse to do is to become obsessed with it there is a world that I live in that needs Jesus Christ. My understanding of the Bible and my uh, uh, general knowledge of what will happen in the future is it looks like, uh, we can sum it up this way, God good, devil bad, Jesus coming back, evil will be destroyed. How that all is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. There was a TV preacher one time, he was quite clear that there were these uh, multi-winged beasts in, in the book of Revelation that are mentioned. Did you know that those, those are Black Hawk, Black Hawk helicopters? 
Maybe he's right. I don't know. Some things are not as clear to me as they appear to be to other people. But because we are interested in these things, we've developed a whole branch of Christian theology. It's called eschatology. Anybody ever heard that word before? I'm sure many of you have. Eschatology. It comes from the Greek word eschatos, which simply means last. So eschatology is the study of last things or of the end times. We kind of phrase it that way. Okay? By the way, eschatology is just another word that ends with ology. We've got a lot of other ones, don't we? Not just in Christianity, but we have biology and geology, archaeology. Inside Christian theism, we have Christology, soteriology, pneumatology, eschatology, all kinds of ologies, $10 per word. You see, ology at the end of a word, all that means is, that comes from the Greek word logos. Many of you have heard that one. It's the word for word. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God and the logos was God. The word was with God and the word was God. So eschatology says last, eschatos means last, add ology on the end of it, it's the word about last things. Archaeology, the word about the past. Geology, the word about rocks and earth science. Biology, the word about life. Theology, the word about God. I want to know about God as much as God reveals himself to be known. The idea of the Bible writings is that history is on the move. And it's moving in a particular direction. History is not circular, even though we, it repeats itself, it seems. People make the same mistakes repeatedly. But it's marching relentlessly toward a particular goal or toward a particular end. In other words, God's plan is going to be finalized at some point. God will fulfill his purposes for his creation, and he is moving history in the direction of that fulfillment. Throughout the pages of both the Old and the New Testament, there is a looking forward There is a looking forward in the Old Testament, looking forward to the Messiah in the New Testament, the the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we live in that New Testament era today. We are looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, we're we're going to look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ by reminding ourselves of the first coming of Jesus Christ. The distinctive character of New Testament eschatology is determined by the conviction that in the history of Jesus Christ, God is fulfilling his purposes for all of creation. So when somebody says something like this, it might seem like a platitude. When we say it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It really is 
all about Jesus. Your life, my life, the life of our ancestors, the life, the life of those who may be our descendants in the, in the years to come. I don't, but it's all about Jesus. God has given him all authority and power and dominion over all of creation. And guess who's part of creation? You and me. It's all about him. The minute we get our eyes off of Jesus, we are prone to fall into fear and despair and confusion. But if we keep him at the center of everything, even a world that is in turmoil, God promises us his peace and his grace. In the past, the ultimate act of God, the decisive act of God in human history was the sending of his son, Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. He is the pivot point of all history. You know what a teeter-totter is. Jesus is the fulcrum. Everything on either side of his life points to him and he sustains it all. So this idea of last things has both an already sort of accomplished aspect to it, but there's also this not yet aspect that there's something still to be fulfilled. There is both a realized past and a future aspect when we think about last things. Jesus paid it all. He is the fulfillment of God's plan to redeem fallen humanity and that is God's desired end, is to save his creation, the world that he created. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Where is the promise of his coming? Have you ever thought of it this way? Maybe God has restrained the coming about of the end because there are still people that want to be saved and they're savable. It's quite possible. But again, I don't know all of that. I don't know who is savable. By my accounts, there are a lot of people that are unsavable. That it turned out I was mistaken. They were savable after all. Maybe you've thought that about yourself. How could God save a sinner like me? Maybe you thought yourself unsavable, but guess what? God has greater knowledge. He knows whether you're savable or not, and I am glad that he spoke to your heart. I'm glad he spoke to my heart. I'm glad that he opened the door of salvation. I'm glad that his spirit spoke to my heart and drew me close to him. I believe then that there are many savable people who haven't been saved yet. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, 
That's why from my perspective, it seems like God is delaying. But guess what? God isn't delaying. He's right on time. He will be right on time. In 1 Peter chapter 1, talking about Jesus, said God chose Jesus as our ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now in these final days, this is writing time of the Old Testament, they're already looking at their day as the last days, as the final days. He, speaking of God, has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. So when it comes to last things, last things has already started. As a matter of fact, last things, if we, from a certain point of view, started before the world even began. Because God chose the son as a ransom even before the world began. I'm sorry, I can't wrap my head around that. I am far too ignorant to understand and appreciate the majesty and the glory of all of that. So all I can do is humbly say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you thought of me. Thank you, God, that down through the ages you thought of all of humanity, that you would send your son to die for us. Jesus has already come. He's already died. He was already buried. He has already rose from the dead. He's already ascended to heaven. And today he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. That is a done deal. Already happened. That's sort of the already part of the coming of Jesus. But there's also a not yet part. Paul's second letter to Timothy indicates that there are some who are already claiming that the end had already occurred. And Paul is saying, wrong. 2 Timothy 2, verse 18. They have left the path of truth claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. In Jewish thought, the end of the world was the resurrection of the dead. And here, some were saying that that already happened. Remember Jesus' encounter when he uh, uh, bumps into the sisters of, of Lazarus who had just died. And he said, do you believe Lazarus can live again? And she says, oh Lord, yes, I believe that he'll be raised on the last day. Jesus wasn't talking about that. But that was the Jewish understanding. The last thing was the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, that hasn't happened yet. And that's still true today. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. So what this shows me, I, when I read through scripture, I, 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 I see in there a lot of warnings and challenges to me as an individual that I need to be really careful about being dogmatic about certain things. When it comes to some of the finer details of how God intends to wrap things up, 
I confess I'm not exactly sure how that's all going to happen. I do know this, Jesus is coming again. I do know that. I don't know the hour. I don't know the day. I can't tell you the year. All I can tell you is for sure right now, it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. I am confident of that. I can say this as well. The first coming of Jesus and what he accomplished by dying on the cross for my sins and through his resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand ensures and it requires and it points us to the full, complete fulfillment of God's plan for his creation. He's already taken steps towards that fulfillment. Some is already done. Some is yet to come. So until he comes again, here's what I say. My hope for the future and your hope for the future should find its foundation in the historical work of Jesus Christ, period. It's not on how clever you are. It's not on how much insight you have. It's on what has Jesus done for you. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There are beautiful faces and eloquent voices. I dare not trust them at the expense of my walk with Jesus Christ. Whatever else we may say, whatever else we would speculate about, whatever else we may ponder about the future and about the end times. By the way, I'm happy to do that with you on a case-by-case basis, one-on-one. I'm happy to share with you my thoughts about things. Uh, just let me know uh, where you would like to meet and what type of pie we're going to have with our coffee. <laughs> you might want to jot this down. My favorite is cherry. So. Uh, Whatever else we might say, one thing is for certain. This one thing I know, at the center of it all, past, present, and future, is the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made. I'd like to mention and and like to encourage you with this thought. Just a short line. You might want to jot this down too. Christians are a people of hope. Or maybe you can put, yeah, you might put the phrase in there, or should be. Christians are a people of hope. Too often, when confronted with troubling times, Christians can sometimes become overwhelmed by all of it. Instead of digging deeper into life of faith, They can and often do succumb to fearfulness, to anxiety. As I mentioned earlier, we have a natural tendency to long for answers. I believe that curiosity is God-given. But we also need to be a people of trust. We want to see the road ahead, but God doesn't promise us. any more than maybe the next step. And maybe not even that. 
All that God promises us is that however long that road is, he'll be with us the whole way. And that's better for us than to even know what the future holds. To know that Jesus is walking with you is better than knowing what the future is going to hold. Because you know that whatever the future holds, if he's with you, everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. There's nothing inherently bad about wondering about the future. But if our interest in the future, in the end times, in eschatology, doesn't lead us to a heart of peace and contentment, I think we're missing something along the way. We're missing the value and the purpose of knowing these things. Why? Because we are to be people of hope. The Bible is, doesn't, Jesus doesn't tell us these things about the future. The Bible doesn't reveal these things about the future to make us scared, but to give us hope. In this world, you will have trouble. Bank on it. Cash that check. It's already been written. But be of good cheer. You big bunch of sour pusses. <laughs> be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Have I mentioned... Have I mentioned it's all about Jesus? I thought that was in my notes earlier, but yeah. Not just hoping that Jesus comes back and rescues us. I believe he will do just that, by the way. But until he does do that, the promises that he has made to accomplish the goals that God has set for his final resolution of his plan are meant to spur you and me to lives of holiness and hope. We wait, not without hope. We wait with hope. We don't despair when things take a turn for the worse in the world that we live in. We don't despair when things don't go our way or at least the way that we wanted them to go. We should put our hope in Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter three, verses 10 through 14. He gives us a little idea of how things are gonna wrap up. He says, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So if you're trying to figure out when it's gonna happen, you're probably in a worse position than a person that doesn't try to do that. Because if you've got it figured out that it's gonna happen in 1988, who knows, Jesus could have come in 1987. Then where would you have been, huh? Talk about egg on your face. That the day of the Lord, by the way, that's an Old Testament phrase that she used to talk, to talk about the end will come as unexpectedly as a thief then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this what holy and godly lives should we live that's a rhetorical statement by the way not demanding a response 
looking forward to the day of God. And he says, and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. How many of you found that God is a God that keeps his promises? If he's promised it, it'll happen. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Again, I am not suggesting that we remain ignorant of what God's word says, but that we should see the full picture and all of the ramifications. Our brother Ross shared this past Wednesday night, and there was one thought that he had shared. He confessed and be absolved, brother Ross. I guess I have the authority to do that sort of thing. He confessed of being at one time in his life wanting to know about Bible prophecy simply for the sake of acquiring knowledge about it. But he found that knowing does not equal understanding. You can cram your head full of all kinds of knowledge of all sorts of things. But what we need is understanding. Only if we understand the times are we in a position to be able to hold off the fear that would naturally overtake us. Fear not. Understand the times. And understanding the times as opposed to just knowing about them is a necessary factor in living free from fear. You want to live free from fear and anxiety? Understand the word of God. Understand that God loves you. Understand that God's plan is going to prevail. Understand that nothing escapes God's attention. But also understanding the implications. How should I live in light of what I understand? I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's not the problems of the Bible, or it... It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that cause me the biggest problems. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that cause me the biggest problems. Show us, God, how we should live in these days and in these times. Well, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is coming again. And it tells us that there are some indications that it's going to happen quickly. It may not happen like at a particular day, but when it does happen, it will happen suddenly. How many of you have ever put on a pot of water, you're gonna make some spaghetti? And you just kind of leave it there because you know it's gonna take a little time for that to heat up, right? But once it reaches that boiling point, you better be in the kitchen. Or that's going to be all over your, all over your stovetop, huh? Come on, nobody's ever made spaghetti. You know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
when it happens, it happens. Just, just like that. First Corinthians seven twenty nine. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. This is Paul. The time that remains is very short. Matthew chapter twenty four verse thirty three. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near. That it's right at the door. At the same time, the scripture is just as clear that there are certain events that must happen first. We mentioned earlier, the lawless man of God must be revealed. Don't be easily shaken, Paul t- tells his readers in Second Thessalonians. He says, let's clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we'll be gathered to meet him. Don't be easily shaken and alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. I would add there, God forgive me. Not even if, but especially if. Especially if they claim to have had a special vision. Friends, let's not be gullible. Let's not be gullible. We listen to so many different voices and we have the availability of so many different voices. Blogs and podcasts and internet. Never has so much been said to be heard by so few people. That was a description of a blog I heard once. Never has so much been written by so many people to be heard by so few or to be read by so few. We have the word of God. Don't be fooled by what they say, Paul says, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. And again, we can't know these things in advance. Matthew 25, so you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. That comes from Jesus. And again, in response to the question that, were, that was raised in Acts chapter one, verse six, Jesus replies in verse seven, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know in a nutshell all calculation is ruled out and in a way this is one of the most freeing things in the world because it frees me to live with a daily expectation that Jesus could come today huh Harold Camping God bless his soul made 20th, 21st of 2011, Jesus was going to return. He was called on that a little bit later. He died a few years after that. But uh, I don't remember the exact rationale, but it had something to do with like a misplaced decimal point, something like that in his calculations. But um, why waste our time with that? when there are greater things to be done. We already know that Jesus is coming back. We already know that God has commanded us to go and tell and to tell everyone in this world about that. We already know those things. How about we get about doing that?
In closing, Brent, if you and whoever's coming will come. I just want to share and leave you with three things. First of all, despite what the world may look like at any given time, things are not out of control. It may seem that way. There may be some indications and appearances that way. But guess what? As I said, God's still on the throne. Nothing surprises him. It's tempting for us to despair when we read about all the trouble and turmoil in the world, but the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite. Jesus says, fear not, take courage. Take courage. Jesus already told us this was going to happen. Our job is to remain faithful. Second, be on guard for end times hysteria. I listed a whole bunch earlier. Guess what? It never turns out well. It never turns out well to be caught up in all of that. Okay? I'm, I'm not saying ignore. I'm saying a little goes a long way. Okay? Years ago, I used to work in pest control. And now that you have my email address, I still sort of do. Some of you got that. Did you know that if there are four or five ants running around on your floor, you don't need to unload a whole can of Raid on them? But we have the idea that if a little, we'll kill them. A whole lot will kill them. Kill, kill them more. That's enough. A little goes a long way. Don't overdose on the internet. There's always going to be people out there. There's always going to be this teacher or that teacher. They have the secret code. They've got it all figured out for the end times. Fads that are going to draw crowds, books, conferences. And guess what? We're going to continue to debate things about the end times for as long as we live. What do we need to be? Level-headed. Even-keeled and level-headed. It's right and proper to study, but we need to do so carefully, humbly, and judiciously. Remember, Jesus told us, no one knows the hour or the day, and yes, that includes the year. It will be sudden, but it will be unmistakable. I don't need secret codes, neither do you. I don't need a decoder ring. Thirdly, what I should do, though, is prepare to live my life in such a way that if Jesus were to come today, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. The only surefire way to be ready for the coming of Jesus whenever it is, is to live today as if he could come today. 
follow him every day live our lives in such a way that if we knew for sure he was coming tomorrow we wouldn't change a thing about how we live today wow i want to be like that there are going to be storms in our lives there's going to be trouble there's going to be wars and rumors there's going to be all of those sorts of things guess what we're going to face some persecution too and we need to be ready to stand firm down through the centuries though God's people have endured incredible trials but they have done so joyfully if you suffer for my sake then that suffering will produce an eternal weight of glory that we can't even imagine why because we count it a privilege to be numbered among the followers of Jesus Christ. If they hated and despised him, they will hate and despise you and me too. He already predicted that. Lord, help us to live the not yet in light of the already. Again, have I mentioned, it's all about Jesus. And he is coming again. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It might be before you finish your last song. The question is, are you ready for when he returns? Are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. In some ways, Lord, it's such a relief to know it's not all about us, but that it's about you. All of history points to Jesus, either pointing forward to him in the Old Testament or pointing back to him in the day that we live. But all of us, Lord, live in anticipation of the day when you come again. Help us to live our lives in the light of that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we sing our last song, we want to uh, share in the Lord's Supper together. Has everyone received one of these when you came in? If you peel off the little cover on the bottom, it will reveal a little square disc cracker. Square disc. Square, square. Square circles. Yeah, isn't that an interesting concept? Yes. Did you, did, did, some did not get one? If we can uh, grab a couple. Just raise your hand if you did not get one on your way in. We'll make sure that, that you get one. Thank you. Raise them a little bit higher. Thank you. Thank you for serving that this morning. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23. These are his words. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. <clears throat> 
and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take that wafer, that piece of bread. Just hold it in our hands for a second. Thank you, Jesus, for the punishment you absorbed in your own body. And Lord, as a symbol of that, we partake of this wafer today. And as we do, Lord, we remember you. We remember what you have done for us. We remember the already that has been accomplished. Let's take the wafer together. If you'll now just go ahead and peel off the top layer to be a little small amount of the cup. We'll continue reading in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. In the same way, he, Jesus, took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take the cup together this morning. Paul concludes this short section by reminding us that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, every time, every time, Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are announcing, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Have I mentioned he's coming again? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. Nobody's going to bow a knee or confess to you or me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's stand. Let's be dismissed in song today.